from Israel, it's Open Line with Michael Rydelnik. Hello, friends. I am so glad to be coming to you from Israel. We are by the Dead Sea, and we have a live audience here. We've been touring Israel from Dan to Beersheba, and now we're down by the Dead Sea heading to Jerusalem tomorrow, and that live audience will be asking questions today. So, friends, don't call today. You can go to our website, openlineradio.org, click on the link that says Ask Michael a Question. Leave your question there. Trish will get it in the mailbag. But today, it's going to be live questions from a live... Well, it's not live. Recorded questions. But we're live now. That's what the deal is. Uh, Right here in Israel. And joining me for this hour of questions is Eva Rydelnik. She happens to be uh, my wife, but also an adjunct professor at Moody Bible Institute, and also the person who texts the answers to me generally when I'm taking calls. <laughs> a, hmm, that's a good question. Let me pause here for a moment and stall, and then my phone rings. And I, oh, that's an easy answer. <laughs> that's the typical way that I do answers. But now Eva will be here now to get me the right answer. She can just speak right into the microphones. Uh, Eva, I'm so glad that you're here. Are you having a good time in Israel? I am having such a great time. Israel, my favorite place in the world, and just great to be here with all these folks, just having a wonderful time. Yep, it's a great time. And see, now, the thing is, I see what you do during the week. You go up to Eva wherever we're walking, and you ask her questions in her ear, and now don't freeze up. Now's the time to do it again. Yeah, that's right. Okay, Okay, we're going to go right back to questions. Hi, I'm Mark from Indianapolis, Indiana, and uh, I've just been so impressed on this tour that uh, of all the knowledge we hear from the tour guides and you and, and Joe have been giving some great talks, uh, but it was amazing to see all the efforts that these the desert fortresses would put to collecting water. Oh, yeah. And, it, and their emphasis on moving water. And it hit me that uh, in, the very, uh, in Genesis 2, the word used for the tree of life is... Uh, I read some commentators that it was, it was, refers to, it would refer to water that is moving. So, you know, moving water with the life. Um, it's a hey or heya. Uh, Chaya, maybe he's thinking. I'm, I'm trying to pull up the Hebrew here. Keep talking, Eva. Keep talking. Yeah, and then, and then <laughs> okay. also, so, uh, and then another what? reference right up there at the very top of the scriptures, Genesis 1, is the spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. This idea of movement, water, life. Spirit, it's just, I wonder if there's anything more there, just kind of mulling it over. So the Spirit of God was uh, moving over the waters. That I can, I, I believe when the creation happened, God created everything. You know, it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I think that everything was there. And then what he did for the next six days was form it into a habitable place of the world. So on day one, he creates light. Uh, and, and so forth as you go through the days. Uh, but it says in verse 2 that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I think that there was water over the whole of the creation that God had made, and it says the Spirit of God was hovering, like a bird is the word that's used, hovering, uh, and, and making all those, you know, starting to make the whole creation happen. So uh, it's interesting to me when I think about the work of the, the triune God in creation, 
often think of the way the Bible portrays it as the father is the architect, the son is the, the builder, and the Holy Spirit is the tool quickening uh, in the hand of the of the contractor the holy spirit so the triune god is all involved in creation now what's the verse that you were talking about with water uh the well the tree word? of life uh, the tree of life and uh, just one commentator's idea was this is a word that would be used uh for something that is moving that's the definition of life would be it oh, has oh, movement the word, the word for life yeah the, the word, word for life, life two nine, and two nine. okay two nine got it uh that the idea is, I'm looking at 2.9, and it says this, out of the ground the Lord caused to grow every tree. Is that it? Mm-hmm, that's it. Every, keep going. going. Every just, tree. Just really the name, the tree of life, life. What okay. is that word? Oh, the word life, Chaim. Uh, uh, that's the word, yeah. Chaim, I'll be honest. I know the word Chaim, and it means life. <laughs> I think, mm-hmm. like Lachaim, yeah. yeah. It only means there may be a deeper sense to it, but I've never yeah. heard it. It just means life. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Hi, I'm Jim from Elgin, Illinois. Uh, in Philippians 2.7, it says that Jesus emptied himself while taking on the form of man. Uh, and then Matthew 3 and 4, the Spirit descends on Jesus at his baptism and then is led out into the Spirit. So my question is, the what, yeah. what role um, did the Holy Spirit play in Jesus' ministry and miracles versus... His divine power. You know, that's Eva. I think you should answer that one. <laughs> well, I think I think what we have to know is I, I'm just going to say this, and then it's, the rest is up to you. Okay. Uh, that there are three parts of uh, you know of the Godhead. There's the there's the the Spirit, the Son, and the Father, and they're not three persons, mixed up. Yeah. They're three persons in the Godhead. So um, that. That's all I have Now, to the say. thing is, obviously, the Lord Jesus, there's sometimes where his, for example, his omniscience. In John 2, it says he didn't trust these false followers because uh, he knew what was in man. How did he know it was in man? Well, that, that wasn't the Holy Spirit. What that was, was his omniscience. Okay? In other places, it appears that he does certain things through the power of prayer where it is not really his own power, but he's relying on the Father to work by the Spirit to do a miracle or something like that, and he does it through prayer. Which is it? I don't know. You know, sometimes sometimes you see his divine power, uh, Operative, and other times he is using spiritual disciplines to uh, resist. Now, on the one hand, I think as God he couldn't sin. I believe that he is not possible for for him, the God Man, to sin. So that theologians call that impeccability. But I do think that he practiced spiritual disciplines like fasting and prayer and meditation on God's word that empowered him to not sin. So which is it? Boy, I tell you, it's really hard. That whole God-man thing is really hard for our, you know... Flat brains. To, to <laughs> figure out. So, okay. Man, they, they ought to have a church council about that. Yeah, that's oh, right. they did. Okay, never mind. 
Hi, Dr. Michael. I'm Tammy from Woodridge, and this trip has been phenomenal. Oh, thank it you, It is Tammy. outstanding, and I, I'm on... I, I've got a, a check for you for a second. <laughs> yeah. Well, I am on overload right now, but it's been so great. I can't wait to do it again and try to get more out of it. Thank you. But I would like to ask you right now, I'd like to lead my Bible study in a group uh, study of the Jewish feasts and festivals and their significance to our Savior. Which study, like a self-taught study, like a video study, might you recommend for something like this? Ah. I don't think of a, I don't know that there's a, I mean, there are a lot of video studies about the holidays and things, but um, Debbie Mangurton, who has been in our fellowship for a long time, has done a women's Bible women's study, Bible study on the festivals. What was that name once again, please? The last it's name. not. It's not not a name that you can probably find it on Amazon. On it's Amazon, right? Deborah Mangurton, M A N G U R T E N, uh, and uh, she's she's going to listen to this and flip out that we're saying it. But we recommend her little Bible study guide uh, for a small group Bible study, not just for women, but a lot of women have had her come and speak to their groups. We have men like and women in our yeah, group. Yeah, but it's a great Bible study guide. It would be a terrific tool to use. The other thing that if you want a video, uh, so you can get it, I'm sure if you looked at, at one of the online salespeople, if not, just uh, uh, send an email to, to openline to remember, openline at moody.edu, and I'll, I'll send you a link to it. Uh, but it's a, it's a terrific uh, Bible study guide. And a few years ago, and I don't know how available it is now, but a few years ago, I did a video series on the fall f- the, of all the feasts of Israel uh, f- with uh, Day of Discovery, the, the Daily Bread people. And I think it's still available if you go to their catalog. It was me and Michael Brown and Avner Bosky. Avner's a Jewish believer it was, here. He's filmed here in Israel. Yeah, he's a Jewish believer here in Israel. Avner is. And uh, Michael is a Jewish believer in North Carolina, he's a great scholar. And a friend of mine, and I got to come along with them and go places. And, and if you want one more source, uh, um, Revive Our Hearts has a, has a series and it, on the Seven Feast by Aaron Davis. So you could check that, Revive Our Hearts, yeah. the Seven Feasts by Aaron Davis. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for that. We're going to take a break here, and then we're going to come back. We have a lot of time for questions. We've got the whole second hour coming up. Uh, People are lining up, getting ready to ask their questions. Hope you're listening and enjoying it as we're coming to you from Israel. That was Eva Rydelnik giving that answer. I'm Michael Rydelnik, and we're going to be talking about questions that I'm sure you're thinking of when we come back, so don't go away. Would you like to explore the depth of Psalms and go beyond the familiar verses and Proverbs? Well, the Moody Bible Commentary should be the first place we turn for biblical insight. We've excerpted the Moody Bible Commentary on the Psalms and Proverbs to help you better understand God's Word and apply the worship of Psalms and the wisdom of Proverbs to our everyday lives. Give a gift today and request your copy of the commentaries on Psalms and Proverbs. Call 888-644-7122 or visit openlineradio.org. Well, we're back. We were at the Dead Sea area today. We saw Masada. We saw Engedi. 
and saw the wild goats of En Gedi while we were there. And tomorrow we go to Jerusalem. This is an open line Moody Radio tour to Israel. And what we are doing is taking your question, the questions of this live audience and recording it. And it's going to air on, on open line. But the audience is live, even though the recording isn't. And they are the ones asking the questions. Uh, before we get back to questions, I met some kitchen table partners recently when I was out speaking. Uh, they came up and they talked about being kitchen table partners. And I was so grateful for people who had decided to become kitchen table partners. And the funny part is there's a real reason that they're kitchen table partners, why we call it that. It's because for years I taught, didn't have an office when I planted a congregation. And so all the Bible studies and things that I did answering people's questions was at my kitchen table. <laughs> Poor Eva had to have people in our house all the time. Uh, and uh, Eva, my wife, was like, uh, you know. Got to have snacks, got to get the coffee. Yeah. You know. <laughs> it was great. It was great. But then when, when Open Line started, we, we were like, well, let's, let's talk about being around the kitchen table, which uh, some, someone in Moody Radio said, what kind of dumb thing is that? But it made sense it was, to me. It was real to us. Yeah. And, uh, but anyway, then the, the folks who give to Moody Monthly, our kitchen table partners, and I'm so grateful that they get together with us around the kitchen table and help keep open, open line on the air every week. And uh, what I try to do, and I've, so far we've been doing it pretty consistently for a couple of years now, uh, every other week we send an audio Bible study, and sometimes one of my favorite parts of it is doing an audio Bible study with Eva. <laughs> and uh, Trisha. And Trisha. We go through a part of the Bible. We, uh, every other week you get a Bible study, an audio Bible study, exclusively for the Open Line Kitchen Table Partners, and I'm so grateful for them. If you are listening and you think, man, I'd like to become a kitchen table partner, that would be great. I'd so appreciate it. All you have to do is call 888-644-7122, or you can just sign up online at openlineradio.org. And we're going to go right back to questions now. Hi, Michael, Eva, uh, Phil, Fort Myers, Florida. Um, in my current seminary class, we just finished a study of the people of Canaan when Joshua crossed the Jordan. And, of course, that references um, the, the scouting report back in uh, Numbers 1333. And in looking at, uh, and it identifies, obviously, the Anakite giants in particular. Looking at other giants in the Bible, you go back to Genesis 6, 1 through 4, and you talk to, about the, the Nephilim. And, Nephilim, yeah. Okay. Um, reading through that, that section, I'm confused as to the nature of the Nephilim. Okay. And, I, and I went to my Moody's commentary, by a Bible commentary, and there's four different alternatives in there. So I'm, <laughs> please help me understand. Well, uh, this is one of our top questions. Yes, right? this is the, the most uh, common question that we get on Open Line. Isn't that it's, in, it's in your book, right? It's in the book, okay. yeah. And uh, it, it, it picks one of those four interpretations that's in the, in the commentary. It's in my 50 most important Bible questions. The right answer is in the 50 most important <laughs> Bible questions. That's right. Uh, now, let's look at Genesis 6. I think that might help. It says, uh, it says here, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were beautiful, and they took any they chose as wives for themselves. Now, a lot of people think the sons of God are angels, fallen angels. But it says in Matthew twenty-two thirty, when asked about what we will be like in the resurrection, 
when when Sadducees were trying to <coughs> test Jesus, and they said, "Well, this man, uh, this woman, uh, keeps marrying all these men because they keep dying." Which I think, man, I think she should just stop. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, the the idea was, who will be her husband in the in the kingdom? And the answer is, we're going to be like angels in the kingdom. I think we'll know our spouses, but we won't be in a, in a marriage type of relationship at that time with a physical reproduction and, and things like that. That said, it doesn't make sense to me if we're going to be like the angels and not be married like that. How could angels, fallen angels, take wives uh, for themselves? And so I think that what this is talking about actually is uh, the the context is the line of of Cain and the line of Seth. The line of Cain is is the ungodly line. The line of Seth is the godly line. And then it says that the sons of God, that's the godly line, took daughters of men, that's the ungodly line, and they merged them. And uh, they said uh, that that's when they become corrupt. My spirit will not remain with mankind forever because they are corrupt. Their days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and they were the powerful men of old, it says, the famous men. So what does Nephilim mean? Fallen ones. doesn't mean giants. So you have the godly line and the, uh, the ungodly line marrying, and the, the children are corrupted. They're fallen. Their descendants are fallen. And these became the powerful men of old the men, the famous men. That's what it says here. Uh, so they were the giants in the earth, as the old King James puts it, meaning that they were powerful leaders, influencers of, of society. I would call them infamous. doesn't mean they're giants like Jack and the Beanstalk. Yeah. But it's more like what we would think of uh, as a giant of industry. Mm-hmm. Who ran? Who had the railroads, or mm-hmm. or shipping, or whatever? Yeah. You know, a financial giant because they have a lot of banks. So then there are Anakim later on, and some people say, well, they are the Nephilim, <laughs> and they are corrupt, and so they were fallen. But uh, in a sense, uh, what I would say about the it can't be the descendants of these Nephilim because what happens right after this corruption of the earth, the flood, and Everyone is destroyed except for Noah's family, so it just doesn't continue. So I think later on when you come to Numbers and they see Nephilim, fallen ones, who are big, and it reminds the spies of them, they're like, wow, they're just like those powerful men of old. This is Norma from Montrose, Colorado. Oh, Montrose. (laughs) There are two schools of thought about when the rapture would take place. One, before the start of the seven-year period. Two, in the middle of the tribulation. If it is before the seven period, then who are the souls that John saw in Revelations 24 who had not worshiped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads for, or their hands. Okay. Before, really, before we talk about 
the rapture. Montrose is a beautiful place to live. <laughs> We've been there visiting our friend. Yeah. Oh. What a great place to live. You gotta come visit us. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Okay, like I'm so jealous. What a beautiful place to live. Mi casa es tu casa. Okay, thank you. Okay, now let's talk about this. Eva, is it a really only two places? Tell us how many, how many views there are of the rapture. I think there are more than that. Yeah. There is the no rapture view, the pre-trib view, the mid-trib view, the after-trib view. I mean, yeah, you know, the, Or we, the almost near the end of the trib view called yeah. pre-wrath. Yeah, right. Yeah, so there's a lot of different views. Uh, but there's a simple answer to your question, and that is this, that the, I happen to believe that the rapture will take place before the tribulation. I also believe I'm never going to have an argument with anyone about it, okay? Uh, I just think that that's not something that's worth arguing about. I think it's worth teaching about, and I do teach it, but it's not, I'm never going to get into an argument with anyone. Uh, so it's, it's not an essential doctrine of, of Scripture, but it's, it gives me comfort, uh, like in First Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, when it talks about the rapture, and it says, comfort one another with these words. And then in 5, 1 through 12 of First Thessalonians, it talks about the rapture and the day of the Lord not coming upon us as a surprise, and that we're supposed to comfort one another with this. So I'm comforted by the idea that if I am alive, when the Lord Jesus returns before the tribulation, we're out of here, you know. What do you call it again, Eva? The great snatch. Yeah, that's it. So uh, that said, uh, once the great snatch happens, sometime after that, the tribulation will begin. Maybe not immediately. There'll be some time because what starts the tribulation period, the seven-year period, some people call it Daniel's 70th week from Daniel 9 of you know, but it's a, it's a seven-year period of time when some really tough things will happen on the earth. There'll be a world ruler who'll become dominant. But at the same time, during that seven-year period, there's going to be a great revival. And there are going to be people who are going to have a tremendous <laughs> impact. It, it even talks about 144,000 Jewish people in Revelation 7 who are servants of God. It doesn't say what they do. But then the very next paragraph talks about people from every tribe and tongue and nation knowing him. So it sounds like what those people are doing during the tribulation, those who are sealed and become believers from Israel, it's like 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams out there preaching. And they're going to win not only other Jewish people, but they're going to win many, many non-Jewish people, Gentiles, to faith. There's going to be a great revival in that tribulation, and they're the ones that won't take the mark of the beast. So there will be people who will get to know the Lord Jesus, become followers of him to the death, even during the tribulation period. Okay? This is great comfort for oh. family members who have not re received the Lord. Mm -hmm. There's hope. There's always mm -hmm. hope, yeah. So, Thank you. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. it. I think it's helpful. Even in this life, keep right. praying for them. That's it. You gotta, you've got to pray for those people. I don't know how prayer works because God's sovereign, but somehow he tells us to pray. And there's even one model in Scripture for praying for people who don't know the Lord. Uh, usually it's praying for the evangelist, not the evangelized. But there's one verse Paul says in Romans 10:1 about the Jewish people, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is to be saved. 
And so if, if Paul can be praying for his Jewish fellow Jews to be saved, we can be praying for people to be saved. Somehow God has ordained that as a means of winning people to faith. Okay? Thank you. Hi, um, I'm Pamela Sennett from uh, Greenville, South Carolina, and I've really been enjoying the trip with my husband, and the day's our 51st uh, anniversary. Birthday? Yay! <laughs> Congratulations. Anyway, it's been, it's been really great. My question is, uh, I've heard the sayings sometime in the past, next year in Jerusalem, and what does that refer to for the Jewish people? That is, that is such a part of Jewish thought that what happened in 70 AD when the Romans conquered the land, they moved people out of Jerusalem and, uh, and the next second Jewish revolt, we talked about all of that, and ultimately Jewish people have been scattered all around the world for basically 2,000 years. But Jewish people never forgot that Israel is their homeland and that Jerusalem is the heart of the Jewish people. It was where the temple stood. And so at every wedding, at every uh, holiday, at every, basically every synagogue service, at some point the prayer would conclude with next year in Jerusalem. Next year we pray that we will be back in Jerusalem. And, and it was a sense of a messianic expectation, exactly. not just a human return, mm -hmm. but Messiah would come and bring us back to Jerusalem. Okay? So that's the great Jewish expectation of the Messiah coming and reigning in Jerusalem and bringing his people back. And so we say, Lashana Haba'ah Berushalayim. Okay, well, tomorrow in Jerusalem, we're going to be there tomorrow on this, with this group, but we're going to be right back with more of your questions right here on Open. audience is having a good time because they're seeing the land of Israel and we're having a great time on this Moody Radio open line tour of Israel and we're doing this recording for you who are listening with the questions that they have a live audience question Eva Rydelnik my wife is here with me answering the questions so she doesn't have to text me the answers she can just speak right up and uh, and also now Trisha usually has the mailbag at this segment. But today there's no mailbag. However, there are some people that don't want to go on the radio with their questions, so they have passed them on to Trisha. And Trisha McMillan, producer of Open Line and uh, bus host of the Asher bus, is here. Uh, and she is, you know, we have two buses. We have Asher and Judah. People want to know why we don't just call them red or blue? And the answer is, Eva says, hey, this is the land of Israel. We have tribes. That's what we have. So, uh, All right. I have two questions. One was asked on the bus, and it was, where was Sodom and Gomorrah? Uh, <laughs> where was Sodom and Gomorrah? Eva, where was Sodom and Gomorrah? I don't think we know exactly where Sodom and Gomorrah were. There, um, but there is uh, evidence that it was right here in this area where the Dead Sea is today. This is where Sodom and Gomorrah was. Because and it, we, we know the area was not always so desolate, so dry, so, I mean, incredibly barren as it is now. 
Because what do we know? How did it used to look, Michael? Well, it, when you look here, when uh, Abram and Lot separate, Abram said to Lot, please, let's not have quarreling between you and me. This is Genesis 13. Uh, between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, because we are relatives, we're brothers, it literally says. Isn't the land before you? Separate from me. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. Uh, if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. And here's what it says. Lot looked out and saw that the entire Jordan Valley, as far as Zoar, which is down here by the Dead Sea, was well watered everywhere like the Lord's garden in the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And people will give geological explanations because of the way the mountains are located. The water comes from Jerusalem. It gets to these mountains and stops. And this is the most barren, dry area that you can find. But it seems to me that what happened when the Lord destroyed Sodom, this well-watered area, it, there was just a, probably not just fire and brimstone from heaven, but upheaval on the earth, uh, a, a change of the topography, creating those mountains to keep this area barren and dry up until the Messianic kingdom, when Ezekiel 47 says the water will come from Jerusalem and rewater the area again. So uh, I think that, that, that what happened was the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah made the Dead Sea area into the Dead Sea area. <laughs> All right, thank you. And it's very interesting seeing it, like how desolate it really is. Like yeah. you can see pictures, and it doesn't really do it justice. But no. to see it, there's nothing living, and you know, all the minerals. There's, there's these palm trees that Israelis uh, uh, plant, and they water, and they, and it, you know, this amazing thing is, uh, even I have been to an experimental farm here, in in the Dead Sea area, and there's also a kibbutz, uh, Kalia, up just on the northern part of the Dead Sea area, and they irrigate, and the, the soil is amazing for what it produces, if it had it's water. It's mineral rich. Hmm. Yeah, and so it can produce a lot if it only had water, and it will have water once again. Yeah, yeah. All right, next question is from Gary. Can you explain the kenosis of Philippians 2.7, which says... Um, uh, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, verse 7, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Or the, another version says he emptied himself. What could he have emptied himself of? Mm -hmm. uh, that's what kenosis means, uh, emptying, self-emptying. And so in Philippians 2, it's not, he didn't empty himself of deity, but he emptied himself of all the rights and privileges of deity. That's what it's talking about. And I, uh, yeah. And I think also of his of his outward majesty. Yeah. I mean, he looked like an ordinary person. He had to be identified with a kiss to the Romans who came to arrest him because he just looked like one of the mm -hmm. crowd. So it yeah. was there was a little peekaboo at the Mount of Transfiguration of his glory but he emptied himself of that that's part of the emptying too it says he didn't consider his equality with god something to be used for his own advantage literally something to be grasped held on to all the rights and privileges of deity but he emptied himself and then just as eva just said he took on the form of a servant taking on the likeness of men he was a real man but he 
he looked like a man. He didn't look like God. I always think that those medieval paintings get it wrong because they have that little glow behind the Lord Jesus' head. The Renaissance paintings that do that. No, there was no glow behind his head. Uh, he looked ordinary, and that's what that's talking about. One of the things I love about, there's a Jewish song that we sing, a Hebrew song, at the Passover, Dayenu. It would have been enough. And every time we think God does enough, he does more, and he does more, and he does more. And I think this is the ultimate Dayenu, because it would have been enough uh, had he humbled himself uh, and taken on the form of a slave or a man, and then a slave or a servant, and then it would have been enough. First, if he had taken on the form of man, then if he had taken on the form of a servant, and then if he had uh, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, and then even the humiliating death on the cross. And every time we think he humbled himself more, it would have been enough had he done that. He does more, and for this reason, God highly exalted him. It's, uh, it's the ultimate Dianu song to me, that every time I think the Lord humbled himself enough, he says, no, there's more, there's more. Hey, Jeff Morris from Glenview, Illinois. I have a, I play golf with a Jewish friend of mine, and, uh, you know, during the course of golf, you don't always have a good shot, and once in a while he'll fly out with a Jesus Christ, and he asked me if they, I found that offensive. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I said I did, and that kind of opened an avenue for conversations, kind of, you know, theology light. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, uh, well, you know, and I learned something on this trip that uh, I'm going to come back to him with is that is the, do you find the cross offensive mm -hmm. because of what we talked about with the crusades and that. But beyond that, do you have any thoughts about how we might, Deepen our conversations about this little because it's it's pretty light golf talk, you know. But you know, he's obviously you know the thing with golf, it's a way of developing a good cursing vocabulary. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> that's why I've never played ever, not once. I don't even play miniature golf except with my grandkids. That's it. Uh, so but it's a good place for conversation though because it's kind of slow walking <laughs> around, slow. Or riding around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I. I th I'm glad that you didn't raise the question of does it offend, that it offends you. I, I, when people say things that are offensive to me, when I try not to be offended, and if they get really bad, I just say I'm too young when they want to tell something vulgar, and if you saw how old I was, then you'd see that I'm joking when I say I'm, too, I'm just too young for this. But uh, the, the point is I, I don't want to make a person who doesn't know the Lord, doesn't understand the significance of what they're doing to feel even worse. So uh, when the time comes, they'll feel bad about it. And they, he did, and he asked you, and, and I think that was great. Uh, but the, the, the thing I would say is, with Jewish people, the number one thing to do is be friendly. Keep that friendship going. Uh, because so often Jewish people don't think that Christians are very friendly or kind towards them. So show your concern. Uh, secondly, uh, raise a, a flag about spiritual things from time to time. If you're friends, you can talk about, hey, I went to Israel. Yeah, yeah. great. And, well, that's where we're, certainly where we're going yeah. to go. Now. And, uh, yeah. But listen to these things that I learned. You think it's just about Jewish people, Israel. Listen to what I learned about the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, in Israel. And 
and talk about things like that. So raise a flag and see if he will salute, you know, and want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. that's, that's what I would say. And then thirdly, make sure that you get a grip on some basic ideas from the Old Testament, like how would you be able to show someone that uh, Jesus is the Messiah, that the Messiah was foretold in the Old Testament? Or could you yeah. even explain the good news just using the Old Testament? Those are some things that I would really recommend that you be able to do. And, and I think you'll, you'll be okay. And also, listen. When you ask him, Does, is the cross an offensive symbol to you? Listen to what he has to say. Okay, whatever subject comes up, make sure to listen because you'll be much better at communication if you listen. I think uh, maybe a, a, a stronger question to ask him. You could leave the, the cross question, you know, and the back burner. Okay. But just say, you know, I was there. I was in Israel. I saw all these things about Jesus. You know, he's called Yeshua in Hebrew. What do you really think of him? Yeah. And then he gets. Well, you might say he's a great rabbi. He's a good teacher. Whatever. But you know, listen to that. What you know? What do you really think about about him? And then you can say, well, my opinion of him was formed by, by the New Testament. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's that'd that, be good. Yeah, that just instead of looking at what what offends him, find out what what he thinks about Jesus. I think that's a that's a really good thing, and especially since you've been here in Israel learning about Jesus. We're going to take a break here. That's a great question. Uh, good book, by the way, Randy Newman. Uh, uh, engaging, uh, engaging with Jewish people. That's mm -hmm. one I. Randy up. Newman. Randy Newman, engaging mm -hmm. with Jewish people. We can maybe put that on open line. Yeah, on the we're, webpage. We're gonna be right back with more of your questions in just a moment. You're listening to Open Line with Michael and Eva Radelnik. People are always asking me questions about the Jewish people. Some of you want to know how to reach your Jewish friends with the gospel, or you want to understand how the Messiah fulfilled prophecy. Others want to learn about the Jewish feasts and festivals. Chosen People Ministries is an organization that reaches Jewish people with the good news all around the world. Each month, Chosen People Ministries offers a free resource to open line listeners that can help you in your personal walk with Messiah Jesus, or it can help you reach out to your Jewish friends and neighbors. For your free copy of this month's resource, go to the OpenLine website, that's openlineradio.org, and scroll down and find the link that says, A Free Gift from Chosen People Ministries. Click on that link, and you'll be taken to a page where you can sign up for your own free copy of this month's resource. Listen to a special open line edition from Israel. We're at the Dead Sea, and an audience has been asking the questions, and you're going to listen to it on the radio, but uh, this is an audience asking the questions, so no calls today. I, I do want to say, before we go on, I am grateful for Chris Seagard, who has sort of did everything here to make this program happen, and he has worked so hard. Uh, thank you so much, Chris. And... Also, as always, Trisha organizes the program so well, and so Trisha McMillan uh, is here with the trip, but also doing a great job with this, so thank you. Sometimes people think it's a formality when I thank the people on the program who have helped produce it. No. 
I, I recognize we, can't, we couldn't do it without them, and I so appreciate them. And also, I want to thank Eva for being here, because she always helps me with questions. Don't clap, it's okay. And Joe Skoll was here last hour, so thanks for that. Uh, the reason I did this now is because I'll forget as we close the show. Go ahead with your question. <laughs> I'm Patty from North Tonawanda, New York. My question is about the resurrection and it's pieces I just can't put together. In Matthew 28, 7 and 8, and also in the Mark account, the angel is talking to the women at the empty tomb, and they, are to, and they tell the disciples that Jesus is going ahead of them into Galilee and that he will see them there, yet that night he shows up to them. And I just I don't understand this going Matthew ahead into 28, Galilee. Matthew 28, 7 and 8, uh, when uh, he says he's been raised from the dead, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. And then where does he show up? What do you mean? When he shows up in the room that night, he walks. Oh, in and John. Yeah. I oh, don't oh okay. I don't understand Not, how uh, those two fit okay. together. Yeah. Uh, well, in terms of what I would do, a number of years ago, we did a program on Open Line, where uh, Mike Van Lanningham on Resurrection Weekend we aired it. We went through and harmonized all the different uh, uh, resurrection appearances, uh, and. Uh, I don't think it's in the Moody commentary. Am I allowed to talk about another commentary? In the Bible knowledge commentary, uh, which is a really fine two-volume commentary, uh, in Matthew, there's a chart right there by the resurrection, at the section by the resurrection in Matthew 28, right around there. There's a chart that does a complete harmonization. And here, here's a copy of it <laughs> that Eva has I in her Bible. I shrunk it down. <laughs> Good. Talk. She, shrunk, she shrunk that chart down and put it in her Bible. It's a really good one. So what the, what the deal is, uh, the, they can be harmonized. And uh, Matthew 28, it says that uh, that's the eighth appearance, the one in 11 through 15. And then there's other appearances that go on. And then uh, Jesus appeared to 10 apostles, apparently... Uh, before they go off to Galilee to see him, but they will. I don't think it means that they won't see him again until they see him in Galilee. I think that they will see him and then go meet him in Galilee. Okay? okay? Thank you. Another question coming up here. Hi, Michael and Ava. Uh, I'm Kevin from Shaker Heights, Ohio. Uh, many of my unsaved family and friends don't take seriously God's hate of sin and his just punishment for it. <clears throat> so they also don't comprehend the gravity of hell. They, <clears throat> they sometimes have the uh, Bible imagery of like fire, uh, fire and brimstone, but it's not something I think that they really get their minds around. So uh, to have a better conversation with them. What are the attributes of hell, and how would you describe it? Can I just start out by saying I wouldn't talk about that with your family? I think uh, At first. At, at first, at yeah. first. I don't think that should be your opening gambit. Uh, <laughs> scaring people into the kingdom because of the dread of hell is not really a real good um, it's not, it's not, opening. It's not an, it's opening, not an opening, opening that really Not works. a good opening. Yeah. I mean, it's real. We're not de we're not hmm. diminishing that, but uh, it's like eat the rest of your dinner, children, or I'm going to beat you to death. No. <laughs> it's not going to make them want to do it. Yeah. 
or eat the rest of your dinner or you'll die of malnutrition. Just, just doesn't work. Uh, so one of the things I've really been trying to encourage people with is to say that we can be assured of a forever, a forever relationship with God if we know Jesus. Uh, that it's not just a temporary one. It's not for this life. It is for our, this relationship will be forever. And, and that's what I try to talk about. But I also talk about uh, this life as well, that uh, most people re recognize that living this life is pretty difficult, challenging, uh, and that we can have an abundant life. We can have, uh, a, everyone's going to have trouble in life. In this world, we'll have tribulation. The difference is who walks this life with us and empowers us to live it. The, you know, everyone's going to have a tough life. It, it's, it's part of what it is to be a human being. But uh, I, I can't imagine having lived this life as long as I have so far without the Lord. So that's what I would talk about, uh, life with a power boost, you know, uh, power assist to, to live effective, uh, effectively. And what, what the Lord said, that I have loved you with an everlasting love, therefore I have drawn you with loving kindness. Yeah. If we can help them to understand how much God loves them, not how much he's going to punish them if he do, they don't know him yeah. is, a, is a, a, a more winning way to get them to consider it. So someone who was a cynic once said to me, you know, well, why would God even have hell? And my, my answer was, well, uh, I didn't want to spend eternity with Hitler. How about you? And that, <laughs> that was the starting point. Well, now there's a reason for hell, and then you have to get to degrees. Uh, but the other thing, too, is that uh, we have to take hell seriously, and that's why we talk about the love of God. Right. And ultimately, what, what God says about things is uh, either we say to him in this life, thy will be done, or he will say to us, thy will be done. And, and that's, that's what, what hell is about. But uh, I would really emphasize the need to come to know God and his love. For God so loved the world yeah. mm -hmm. that he gave. Yeah. By the way, the first preacher to really emphasize the love of God as opposed to threats, D.L. Moody. Uh, Yay. His proclamation theology was the love of God, and that was a transformation. So, uh, well, I can't believe it. This hour is up. The program is over. So glad for all of you who listened. So grateful for all these questions. Thanks for doing that. Uh, remember, uh, you can always check out the website. Uh, openlineradio.org has all sorts of links to things that you'll be interested in whether it's past programs or our current resource or even how to become a kitchen table partner uh, check out the website and also has a chosen people offer there keep reading the bible so we can talk about it next week Open Line with Michael Ray Jones is a production of Moody Radio a ministry of Moody Bible Institute